With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. TCL is a proud sponsor of the 1500 ESPN Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar here along with ESPN's Courtney Cronin and Courtney... We made it. We did this together. We got through seven months of not actually playing any real football games and speculating and talking about every element of this National Football League team that we possibly could. And now we are here. How do you feel? Feels good. It feels like we've crossed the, the finish line of a very long marathon. Is that, have you ever done that? Have you ever no, run? I don't run. So you have no idea how actually, that actually Actually, I do feels. run. What am I, I, but I can only run four miles at a time. Four miles is good. Yeah, but it's on a treadmill. I get bored after like a mile and a half. I watch TV. That's about it. I watch TV, listen to my music, and sometimes I grind the tape. I can't, that's a great idea. Oh, this reminds me. In, in all seriousness, uh, in, there's a NFL, what is it called? Football Life. You know those yeah. on NFL Network? where they go through the 95 Cleveland Browns and how you know everything fell apart and, and they left town, there is a scene where Bill Belichick is riding a bike, like a stationary bike, watching and grinding the film. And in, in those days, there was no TV that's like a little console on the bike. He was like watching like a legit VHS. Yes. Yep. He's got the actual game tape in there. He wheeled that thing in there. Can uh-huh. you imagine the, the wherewithal that went to making sure he could have his 30 minutes of cardio and 30 minutes of tape grinding? N- just, neither would be interrupted. Let me just put it this way. Goals. Just goals. If we could all achieve that. Uh, I can't run on a treadmill because I get too bored, so I run outside. But anyway, aside from all of that. Neither one of us has even come close to running a marathon, so we don't know what that's like to be over. But we do know what it's like to have camp over and preseason over and finally talk about a game that matters. So we have Vikings and 49ers. What I want to do here, Courtney, since uh, I previewed more of the matchups in this game with Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus, I want us to talk bigger picture on every position, our confidence ratings on them, and what the biggest question is going into week one and the season at large. So with Kirk Cousins, 
I think the most interesting thing about Kirk Cousins is how he navigates the issues that will ultimately come along with a season that has high expectations and a very, very tough schedule. The bumps in the road, if he can smooth those out, uh, I kind of talked about this a little bit before on, on the air and podcast, but I just think that like his, his leadership, his makeup, all those things will be truly tested by this situation, which is very much different than anything he's faced before. Every question can start to be answered come week one, good or bad, whatever happens we finally move in that direction because for the last five months, I wrote this, it's been the prologue in his book on the Vikings. Chapter one, you can finally put the prologue, however, it's like 25 pages, uh, behind him. And I think his biggest, the biggest thing that stood out to me about Kirk with how he handles pressure when he was asked about it after the Jacksonville game of all times, after a preseason game, it was kind of just weird timing gave his best quote on it where he said, you know, I don't go out there on third down, third and I'm not looking at like third and short thinking, oh my God, pressure, I have to win a Super Bowl right now. I mean, he really encapsulated how he's able to compartmentalize all of that in that moment. And for me, I look at that as, okay, when things do go wrong, because inevitably they're going to go wrong, there's going to be things in the 49ers game that are not going to go the way that the Vikings want. How does he handle that? How does he, you know, what can he do with his own play? And it's not a matter of leadership as much, because, yes, that will be tested. But I'm looking on on the field. when, When his protections on the left side of the offensive line get keyed in on the weaknesses of Tom Compton and that side of the line breaks down, how is he going to handle the blitz? How is he going to handle a pass rush that's relenting through the middle through the middle of the offensive line how does he take off how does he overcompensate for things like that that's what I'm looking for and I think those the weaknesses of his game could certainly be exploited in these first few weeks given the state of the offensive line and given the opponents uh we might know a lot more about Kirk Cousins uh by week five of the season yeah and the relationships that he builds too with John Filippo, the wide receivers Mike Zimmer in camp for the most part, unless something goes really wrong, everybody is in good shape with each other. It's like, okay, all right, you know, maybe we had a scuffle one day between Stefan Diggs and Xavier Rhodes, but who cares about it was that? Literally, and- like the most. I mean, there were a lot of things that went wrong in training camp, starting with Tony Sperano, but like from a dynamic standpoint, this team's been very not newsworthy. Yeah. Like, which is a good thing to be for them. Right. This hasn't been like you see on Hard Knocks where the Browns are uh, getting testy with each other and things like that. There haven't been fights. There doesn't seem to be disagreements between players and things like that. And this really is going into week one, Kirk Cousins' team. I mean, he is the guy, the unquestioned franchise quarterback leader. I I think he's done a really good job throughout camp of establishing himself as that, as the driving force of the offense and the guy. It's just how stable is that as things go along? I I guess we're going to find that out. And I, I looked into something earlier this year that there was a claim from someone, I forget who, an analyst that said, you know, Kirk Cousins isn't a finisher. D'Angelo Hall. No, I think that, that wasn't the thing he said on Sports Center. Hall said, but well, maybe, maybe he said something similar because I thought that Hall said that Cousins wasn't really checked all, out. All in. Checked yeah, out. he was checked out for last year, which I don't know. I mean, it seems like that's easy. I would to be kinda... too because I mean, it's pretty easy to assume uh, just given the contract situation, but you'll never truly know. 
Yeah, and also people can look like, at a people can look at a screen grab of, of that's the thing that irritates me the most. People will look at that same BS video of Kirk on the sideline when Robert Griffin's rushing for a touchdown and he's just standing there, mm-hmm. and they're going to make assumptions about that. That's just annoying. Like at this point, like let it go. Yeah, and it's the same thing with um, you know I remember when Eli Manning didn't celebrate when Peyton Manning like had it all but wrapped up, but. You know, then Eli said later, like, yeah, my mind is in the game at that point. I'm thinking about the down and distance and time. I wasn't thinking he had won because the game wasn't over. But Maybe Kirk was just thinking about the boots. Maybe he was, um, which he is good. Actually, maybe terrific. Terrific. Terrific in the boots. Um, but, but you know, I, I guess what I think about um, some of the stuff that was thrown at him in Washington, and I want to – acknowledge that some of that can be legit with also saying it is a dumpster fire there. And someone like D'Angelo Hall was probably trying to deflect a bit of the defense's role in going seven and nine last season in DC. So, you know, I guess we're really going to figure it out is the way I look at it. Like just how the bears have set up Mitch Trubisky for us to find out is Mitch Trubisky actually an NFL quarterback. I think the Vikings have set us up to find out, uh, is Kirk Cousins really a good leader now that they have put all of this on him? A lot of it good, but a lot of it comes along with pressure. And that's going to be interesting thing, number one, for me watching the whole season with Cousins. You weren't talking about the DJ Swearinger thing, were you? Because I just went back and looked at um, a direct message you sent me about this. Because I think we've been keeping track of all the subtweets. And it was, Alex has more command of the offense for sure. He's definitely a leader that we lacked last year, regardless of whatever reason. Kirk was going through a contract situation. Alex has the contract now. Blah, 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 blah. I don't want to keep going on with that. But was that what you were referring to? That was one of them. Yeah, there have been a handful of jabs. I mean, Back there... and forth, too. I mean, yep. The thing about Kirk is he'll never say the Washington Redskins. He'll say that former team I played on or another team I played on. Well, you only played on one team for your first six years in the NFL. So Yeah, that was yesterday. He said where I used to play or something like that. And he's so. and he's done that. I that's one thing I've thought about. When do those when does the subtweeting, when does the jabs back and forth? Does it end week one? I think so. It has to. Yeah. I think that we all move on after that and now he's the quarterback of the Vikings and I don't blame him for being bitter about the last place that he was. I mean, I I know that same feeling being here myself, and it's nothing like what it is for Kirk Cousins, but just I understand being much happier in a new place, much better accepted in a new place that's put you in a situation to succeed, unlike the place before. I can relate to a lot of those things. So I, I think that the whole change of scenery thing is very real, and also getting paid, not having people talking about how much money you're making all the time in the national media and only talking about your play. Uh, yeah, I think that all those things will help him, even though there's a great deal of pressure. And the thing that he's dealing with here that's un- not unfortunate, but just reality, is no matter what they do, if they lose week one and the defense gives up 30 points, it's still Kirk Cousins' fault. Like that's just, that's just how it's going to be. Because money. That's right. the only reason. And And my theory is that the Super Bowl window that they've built themselves that is more than just 2018, money does talk. We've been over this. You have to win a Super Bowl with Kirk Cousins as your quarterback. You don't have to win it in year one. You don't pay $84 million to not win one or at least not get there. So, you know, for me, it's like, okay, you look at the, the, the just the trajectory of what the next few years will bring. This all could go very wrong in year one as they're still trying to work it out. But year two and three, that pressure ramps up. Um, it doesn't ever go away, but you don't have to win it all the first year. And that's something that 
I have, as maybe people are listening to this, it will be run on our website, is sort of the truth and lies to Super Bowl or bust. It is and it isn't. I mean, it is in the fact that you pay this much for a quarterback and you have a great team. It isn't in the fact that you have a lot of great players under contract. And Well, they did other- that purposely. They have, what, 13 through 2020 at least? That's two more years to try, the- well, three including this year, to try to do this. Right, and when you look at Daniil Hunter signs, Eric Hendricks, we'll see on Anthony Barr, but Xavier Rhodes is locked up, Harrison Smith is locked up, Stephon Diggs is locked up. They probably rework a deal with Adam Thielen. I mean... You are in great shape with all of the key players that have led this team to be as good as they are. So even though, yes, because you have a great team, it's Super Bowl or bust, it isn't really bust, though. Bust usually means that's it. That's the end of your window. It's over. It's a failure. It sets. And that's where I'm going to disagree with you. It sets this franchise back a hell of a long time. They have already been set back by Teddy Bridgewater and the unfortunate injury. In- in Jory. They were <laughs> before that, they were set back by Christian Ponder. I've had conversations with Rick Spielman about this for stories I've written, just being like, that's the position I've missed out on. He that's a failure for him if this doesn't work out. It's a failure for this entire franchise, for every single coach that sat in that meeting and every single person from the scouting department, George Payton, Rob Brzezinski, Rick Spielman, that Saturday after John D. Filippo was hired and brought here after the combine. Or no, sorry, before that was in February. They all sat there, they agreed, we're going after Kirk Cousins. That is a failure on every single one of their parts if it doesn't go as planned. I don't think that only applies to 2018, though. No, I'm, oh, of course not. The whole thing. The whole, I'm that, talking big picture, I mean. as I've said the whole time. Like I'm looking at the big picture that this is not a one-year window of eighty. It's not eighty-four million dollars one year. It's eighty-four million dollars right. for three years. There's right. a reason for that. Yeah, no, we're on the same page here because I I think that as much as this team deserves to be talked about as a Super Bowl uh, contender, that it's more about. The three years of Kirk Cousins. But you're talking about the bust part. That's what I was trying to get at, that bust doesn't mean, you know, bust means it doesn't happen in that stretch, however long he's here. That's what I mean. So when people ask about it being Super Bowl or bust for 2018, I, I don't agree with that because they will have so many of the great pieces going forward for the next three years. It's not like, well, everybody's on their last legs here, which was kind of the case in, in 2009 when they fell apart. And in some ways in uh, 1999, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, some of the same things of you've got a lot of key players who are older, but they don't really have that here. They actually have a fairly in its prime type of roster that isn't old, but isn't super young either. Um, so anyway, Kirk it's Cousins. still an all-or-nothing pursuit, in my opinion. Yeah. You don't go after this thinking, well, I might get there. You go after this setting yourself up to get there. There is no black and white. or there, It's only black and white. There is no in-between. Yeah, that's what they signed him to the three-year contract for, not, as you said, the one-year. One year, right. Yeah. It wasn't just, oh, it's 2018. Now, all that, all that being said, um, this team 100% deserves to have Super Bowl expectations for this year. When you think about Kirk Cousins and how we will evaluate him, what, I guess, process will you use as you evaluate his season? I mean, it won't be yards. It won't be touchdowns, right? No. It's 4,000 yards passing and 25 touchdowns for three straight seasons is cute. It has to be more than that this year. And I don't even – I mean, it, it not necessarily has to be more than that statistic-wise – 
body of work, it has to be more than that. I mean, he may not get there, honestly, 4,000 yards passing with just how good the running game is here. I, I would anticipate that almost as kind of a given. But um, I think the way that I look at this picture is how does this championship-type culture, how does this thing sustain itself when things go wrong? Because they're, they're bound to. And, I mean, you already see all the holes on the offensive line is the easy thing to point out. But when it's more than that, when Kirk, when Kirk struggles, how does he handle that? Because there's going to be inevitably, you know, some red zone interceptions. I mean, that's been, you know, you don't just magically change that. I know that if you go back and look at John DeFilippo's stat, at the stats of the quarterbacks that have been under him, Terrell Pryor's one of them, Carson Palmer, Derek Carr, Carson Wentz, the greatest example of it last year, how good they've been in turning their careers around in the red zone. Um, that's certainly there, but he's going to have struggles with it. So I think... The way that you evaluate him, I mean, can really be summed up. I'm not looking at it in a vacuum. I'm looking at body of work. I'm looking at the next three years. Okay, where is he year one that he's going to be not at or, you know, in a better place than year t- in year two? Yeah, a major part of that is just going to be whether he wins or not. And I think that it's very rare that you can actually do that, that you can actually say, like, it, whether he wins – is it the only way that I will evaluate this? Because it's so rare that you can win the Super Bowl that that's a very high standard to hold to somebody is if you win the Super Bowl, it's a success. And if not, it's a failure. He's in that sort of position. I think when I evaluate on a week to week basis, it will be very much what you're talking about is did he do things that got them closer to winning? So did he succeed in the red zone? Did he succeed on third and tens that extend drives? Did he make uh, intermediate passes that got them 15, 20 yards down the field to you know kick off a long touchdown drive? Or was it a few good passes here or there, but then struggle in the red zone? Or was it you know get kind of out-schemed on third down and can't find a spot when he can't use play action? That's what I'm going to be watching because when, when I watched tape of him last year, you see kind of some of both. You see some games where he made big-time throws in big situations. You saw other games where he didn't, and you felt like, yeah, they were in position to win that game, and they and they didn't get it done. I mean, the game against the Vikings goes that way. They were in position in that game later on to make it really interesting, and they didn't. So um, I think that's going to be the, the way that I look at it because – we know that the defense is going to be good. We know that the opponents are going to be good, and there's going to be very many close games. So 4,000 yards, like you said, doesn't mean a whole lot here. I, I wouldn't even look at the yard total unless I, I have my fantasy team. It's honestly for fantasy only. I mean, what we've talked about before is how Kirk has never had a defense this good. How much pressure is he putting on that defense to have to come in and, and slug out games at the end? I mean, you he, is he going to become – you know, we always talk about Matthew Stafford being this fourth quarter guy and leading these great fourth quarter comebacks. We haven't seen a whole ton of that in Kirk's career. And I mean, you you, you look at the defenses that he's played with, they really should have probably put him in more position to do that, you think. But, um, you know, I how, how, how Kirk utilizes this defense to his advantage, I think, is a huge part of the next chapter. He's never had this before. It's a luxury that just, you know, seemed to evade itself the for you know, last three years that he was a starter in Washington. One thing we don't talk about very often um, with the number one defense, and you're, what you're saying about the connection between the two, mm-hmm. is that for as much as Mike Zimmer criticized Case Keenum for risky plays, he turned the ball over very rarely last year. He only threw nine picks and fumbled once. I mean, that 
That's kind of crazy to think about how few times he actually turned the ball and over. And how many sacks he did not. He wasn't responsible for himself and that he avoided. I mean, Kirk was sacked 42 times last year, uh, 41 times last year. I mean, he's durable. He's lasted through it. But those are things that you want to avoid. And I, and I think from the defense's perspective, if you're not getting sacked and you are not turning the ball over, that helps them a lot. Mm-hmm. Like if you're turning the ball over, like, I mean, Case Keenum did in the divisional game, that set up that run for New Orleans because it gave them a short field and then Drew Brees scores and he's kind of off and running from that point. And that, that might be a good way to, to sort of demonstrate the point is just if you're giving extra opportunities to Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Russell Wilson this year and the Rams offense and the Lions offense, which is no joke, and maybe the Bears are better. I mean, when you're going through the schedule, you can't give them extra opportunities and as as much as Case got made fun of for it by the head coach, he really didn't. I mean, he just he may have if he had kept playing uh, for the next five years, but he certainly didn't last year. And that's one thing that we're going to be watching closely with Cousins that we've brought up the stat before, but lots of strip sacks, lots of fumbles from him over the last three years and double-digit interceptions. He, he's going to have to be more careful with the ball than he was before. And and to go on your point about that, I think the reason Case got knocked on that so much was because it was mediocre quarterback play elevated by two very, very good wide receivers. Yeah. Uh, Kirk is a lot more accurate. The ball comes off his hand. The manipulation of it's a lot different than it was with Keenum. Um, it kind of seemed like there are always these wild throws with Case that, you know, he's back of the end zone, Adam can get away, Adam Thielen can get away from the safety and he looks like he's wide open right there because Case made a last second read and found him against the Browns. Like and obviously with Stephon Diggs being one of the top red zone receiving threats, um, the last two years has been a very nice asset yes. that you know, I think Mike was more so just kind of you know, knocking on wood, thank God I have those guys <laughs> mm-hmm. because what this guy's gonna get us killed in a number of different ways if we don't have them. So let's um so that that's kind of like the overview of Cousins as we go into this this week one. Let's run through a couple of these other positions and give me a one to five how confident you are that they will be let's say five is they're gonna this position group will be among the top ten in the league. In the middle would be, you know, the the middle ten and then, you know, one would be in the bottom. So if we're going running backs, fair to say as long as Delvin Cook is healthy, that's a five. Five, yeah. That he should be one of the best players in the entire NFL. And the fact that he has Latavius Murray, there is a reason that they restructured his contract to bring him back this year. It wasn't, okay, we lost Jarek McKinnon in free agency. Oh, well, we signed Kirk. We got to sign Sheldon Richardson by Latavius. They made it a point. They saw something in him because he's an every down back. He's a, he's a starter. You have two starters in your backfield. Mm-hmm. That is important. So for me, no brainer. And the, and the fact that they kept Mike Boone, Rock Thomas, which I guess we uh, just, uh, it's a push on our bet. Yeah. Mike Boone and Rock Thomas. Well, they also probably... We were both right. Yeah, we were. That's nice. Uh, They probably also like the fact that they can have two pass-catching running backs on the field at the same time. So the fact that they kept those guys for depth, they have C.J. Ham, who is the rare fullback, which I love how much fullback talk there's We had a lot of it this week. Probably It's going to be the only week you would think... I'm trying to think their opponents. Fullback talk. Um, I mean, Shanahan loves the fullback. Yes, me too. It's, It's, I mean, it's very... Basically... They what what DiFilippo had in Gary Barnage kind of as his versatile chess piece in Cleveland. That's what I mean as a tight end because he didn't really. I mean I think he used Malcolm Jenkins as his fullback a little bit 
in Cleveland. I'm trying to think. Duke Johnson Cleveland was there. Cleveland fullbacks. I yeah. don't remember all of them. Um, they didn't have him in Philadelphia. Was Leroy Horde technically a fullback in, in Cleveland? Maybe he was. In what year? Oh, like 94. Uh, yeah. I mean, I... <laughs> so the running backs were... In, we're we're in agreement, agreement that yeah. that's an elite position. Um, when we're talking about the tight ends and wide receivers, I think we're on the same page. When you get to people debating whether the number three wide receiver can do it, it's like, man, that really tells you how good your one and two are. And with the tight end, Kyle Rudolph is never going to be a good blocker. But I think year after year, what he shows you with the guys they filter in here that are later round draft picks is he's actually... He's actually very good. He's not the best tight end in the league, but he's going to catch everything you throw at him. He's going to know how to play the game, and he's really good in the red zone. Do you buy that? Uh, this is a quite a legit question. Do you buy that his production is going to go up this year? Might not go up by a lot, but do you think just with Kirk Cousins and his affinity for the tight end and John D. Filippo's affinity for a tight end that it does that much? I don't, I think he had eight touchdowns last year. I might have moved that up to nine in my projections. Like he's a great red zone threat, mm-hmm. and Kirk in an area where Kirk has struggled, the back of the red zone is going to be that's his going to be his bread and butter. So. I think it's going to stay about the same. I don't think his role changes here. It's just that they don't have anybody else to compliment him like a, you know, a Trey Burton. Yeah, the way that I look at that is it doesn't really matter what his catch total is because I thought he was better last year than he was in 2016 and his catch total wasn't as high. But he made big third down catches, and the year before he didn't, and he made big red zone catches. So he was a, a huge part of the offense last year, even though it wasn't seven, eight receptions a game. But when those receptions go for a couple of yards on third down and 10 and you have to punt, I mean, what what good does that really do? Like for your points per reception, it helps, but not otherwise. So I, I think he is a key part of this offense, but I see it being a very similar year to last year as opposed to, oh, all of a sudden he's going to get 100 catches because Zach Ertz did. Like, no, I, I don't think that. But I, something for fans to watch, though, uh, when Kyle Rudolph lines up at wide receiver, that's like an Eagles thing. And it's a cool little cheat code to figure out what kind of defense the other team is playing. Because if the safety goes with him out there, Mm -hmm. then it's man to man or a linebacker it's man to man. And if it's a corner that stays out there, then it's zone. So it's a little, if you're watching in the stands or watching on TV and you see Kyle Rudolph lined up at wide receiver, try to look at who's playing against him because then you can figure out what kind of defense they're going to have. If you're, you know, interested in that sort of thing. Well, I think the motions are important, too, because in the motions and any sort of shift that they do, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's a quarterback, you know, it's it's, are they man or are they zone? I mean, that's going to be so huge, um, you know, in trying to throw off this, whatever defense they go against. And they like multiple personnel groupings. I mean, take a look at Stefan. I think that's going to be interesting because I did notice a little bit of this in camp. I mean, granted, we could barely see anything. But when Diggs is the Z, when he's your flanker, in 20 you're a flanker your mom is a flanker Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> okay like 21 and 12 personnel if you're using him as like your your Z, you're just you're just going all in here i'm no i'm excited to see it because we always talk about okay how versatile he's a chess piece blah 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 what what they do with him in 11 personnel i mean i think he probably played more x there in the spring and in the in the fall i was watching back some not like i wasn't watching like practice tape, but I was watching just back like a little time, a few things from last year and then kind of like mixing in some stuff, some very minimal stuff that we saw this year. But I paid attention to that during, cause John Filippo said something about it in the spring. So I paid attention to it when I could during camp. It makes me think that we're going to see a different element from Stefan Diggs this year. 
Yeah, maybe he's going to be in the slot more than he was last year. I just feel like, I mean, reason with me. Maybe this is the reason they didn't need to keep Kendall Wright outside of the fact that he was not good. But it's just like, do you, did you really need another slot receiver? I know. Did you really need another slot receiver? No. I mean, uh, Thielen w- played there 50% of the time last year. And I know that Diggs' numbers went down, but it's like... Now that he's now that he's with a coordinator that's going to throw him out everywhere, I mean, it makes sense, and, and I have a lot of confidence in that group. Where you know maybe you don't need the depth really, like at, the, at three and below. It's just the only thing to be concerned about is just the health yeah, of injuries. Stephon Diggs. He has missed games before, not a ton of them, and clearly, as we told you on the Purple Podcast many times, that the team wasn't making that a big factor in signing him to a giganto contract, which they did this, this off season. But you know, if you're talking about losing anybody for a game or two, uh, that's a concern when Brandon Zilstra is next man up and he's basically never played before. But he does give you a different element that you don't necessarily get elsewhere. It could be a nice red zone threat. We could, we don't know. Yeah, possibly. Better than Treadwell. I think what you're hoping for is that he doesn't play. I think what you're hoping for is that if he does play, he can actually translate that to a game unlike of which we've seen with Laquan Treadwell. Yeah, and he's an interesting conversation, too. Uh, I still have him at, like, you know, 30 catches or something this year, maybe a little bit of progress. Uh, But, you know, I don't know because Treadwell was talking about how, you know, with a different quarterback he's felt different. But that's what guys always tell you in camp is, no, everything's different this year. I'm actually good and when I wasn't before. So, uh, we will see on that, but the lack of depth does make you a little antsy. Uh, not that Kirk Cousins would ever want to talk about being antsy. That's a stupid inside joke from his press conference. But anyway, it do- it does make you a little concerned when they move on from Kendall Wright and you don't have anyone proven beyond your top three. But that's how it goes for almost any beyond position. Beyond your top two. Are yeah, you including, yeah, you right. including Treadwell I mean, on that? I guess or you so. Could, you, could, you could say three and include Rudolph if you're including him as yeah. a pass catcher. Uh, well, I was just including Treadwell because he's played before. Sure. I mean, Zilstra has not played before. And, and Coley has not played. No, Coley was receiver. in one game last year, I think, as a receiver and got one target and didn't catch it. So, you know, that total lack of experience is something that you hope, if you're a Vikings fan, does not come into play. Um, O-line? No. No, we're, we're not doing no, it. Okay. No, no. Well, I think that we're both on the same page. Yeah, we, and, and I'm we, sure our listeners don't want to hear any more talk about it. They don't, but I'll throw one thing at you. It's pretty clear Brett Jones is going to start at center. Yes. Um, Thanks, Kirk. That does make you feel a little better about the offensive line. A little bit until I realize who's their nose tackle and who's their, you know, who's their three technique. No. <laughs> no, not with that team. Not with where their interior push comes. You have Tom. I mean, Remmers is your saving grace there. But what happens when you know Brett Jones has to help on a double team with, with Tom Compton? You leave Mike. You leave Mike Remmers against potentially DeForest Buckner. Even if Eric Armstead's going to come in through the inside. I mean, I'm scared if I'm them. Confidence ratings probably at one. One. <laughs> I mean, for now, we're just going game by game with the offensive line. You know what will impact my confidence rating is how Riley Reef looks. Yeah, because he had the uh, I believe it's an ankle that's kind of kept him limited throughout the week. So. That's been the concern with yeah. him. Last year, he was really good early on, and then when he got hurt, his play went down significantly in the second half of the year. Okay, so defensive line. Yeah, sorry. I mean, we just we get emails and tweets like, it's hard to not talk about the offensive line when it's the biggest concern. Is it wrong for me to say confidence rating on every position, defensive line, linebacker, corner, safety, is 
a five? Four or five, I would say. Defense, if I was breaking them down by position groups, corners, I would say a four. Just because, I mean, you hope Trey. I mean, Xavier Rhodes is elite. He's the best there is. Uh, you don't know what's. You don't know how it's going to pan out at nickel corner. Just with Mackenzie Alexander, is he going to really be able to take that next step? He's been coming off injury. Returned to practice on Thursday. Uh, how does Mike Hughes look there? Is Trey Wayne's going to regress? Is he going to continue to get better in year four? So I think still probably a four. Safeties, I'd probably say a five. Um, defensive line, I'd say five, and then linebackers, I'd say four. Just because I'm concerned about the depth. Safeties, I would have been concerned about the depth, but not with George Iloka. No, and and even linebacker Eric Wilson took huge steps yeah, forward. He looked really good, but beyond him, I mean, do, I mean, do you, heck, do you even need to bring someone like Kentrell Brothers back after suspension? Do you need a sixth linebacker? Someone will ultimately get hurt, but probably yeah. Not. But I don't know. I mean, I think it's a good situation all around. I mean, and, and really, it's just depth concerns is the only thing that would ever give me any sort of trepidation on defense because. And- that's the one thing they never had to deal with much last year. Yeah, very true. And this year, I think that the depth is better just on some guys making more progress. Stephen Weatherly to Sean Bauer were both really excellent in the preseason and have taken, especially Weatherly was dominant every time he was out there. And he looks like he's ready to, to actually play as as a defensive end in the NFL. And, and that gives you a lot more confidence than you would have had last year. When Everson got hurt, I mean, they went to Brian Robinson playing in the game against Washington, and then Everson just played 90% of snaps on... Torn uh, plantar fasciitis. Yeah, I mean, that's that, that's pretty good. rough. So that kind of tells you how they felt about him last year, but that seems to have changed. Now, I don't mean to just skip by all of that, but when you have the number one defense, it's like how many questions are there? Do you think that Mike Hughes, if he, if he starts at nickel this week for McKenzie, we don't know which way that's going to go. If he starts, like, does he ever give the job back? Probably not. Unless something, I mean, unless he just gets destroyed in week one. And, I mean, even still, I mean, he's a rookie and he's still going to be learning. But there's, you know, what do you do with McKenzie at that point? That, I think you're trying to the same role as last year then. Yeah, but, like, I mean, who's your outside depth that you can really rely on? To play outside corner if if and when, you know, Waynes and Rhodes get hurt. I mean, what are you, you're Holton Hill? You could be looking at McKenzie there. I mean, he did play a little bit of that last year, played 30% of snaps. But, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, I think Nickel might be his best fit just because he's been all locked in on it this year. It's been where he's, you know, forced himself to be most comfortable. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Mike Hughes makes that a very interesting argument. And, and I think he just gives you an extra layer of depth. So um, as far as how much we've talked about them not drafting Will Hernandez, um the benefit is that Mike Hughes looks very, very good in training camp and preseason. And then, you know, we'll see where it goes on from there. I just think the amount that they've praised him, Mike Zimmer usually doesn't do that unless he really means it. And so that probably points to them being very happy about Mike Hughes. And I wouldn't be stunned that if he does get to start, that he just plays well and continues to go from there. And they feel like they're in great shape. The last one, kicker, punter, I wouldn't bring it up if not for this team's history with the kicker. Judd Zolgad is somewhere is he still. he listening right now? He's balled up in a corner still just saying, Gary Anderson, Kai, Kai Forbath, what Blair is, Walsh. What does, he think about the, what does he think about the punter situation and that they waved Quigley? Was he upset about that? No, I, didn't see, I, I didn't see a column. Can anybody? Yeah, Zolgad. Uh, can anyone be upset? No, I mean, Ryan Quigley had a bad preseason. 
But Judd also wrote about one game of Daniel Carlson. Yeah, that's true. So that is true. I was expecting. I, I would probably say a three. And ranted on this podcast for almost 20 minutes about the kicker. Uh, yeah, I think I'm more of like a two and a half with Daniel Carlson. Like, I'm right in the middle. I have no idea. It's just impossible to project. It just isn't. There's been a lot of moves that haven't made a whole ton of sense. The, you know, the the Cowboys parting ways with, uh, was it, what, Dan? Bailey. Dan yeah. Bailey, um, second most accurate kicker in NFL history. And then, you know, Kai was accurate, eighth most accurate kicker in NFL history, just couldn't hit the extra points. And then, you know, I think it's such a finicky thing to judge to begin with, and they're only judged on what goes bad. So <laughs> right. it's, that's a tough one, but not really. I mean, like, they're, you get rid of a guy who was completely – I just think, honestly, it was more of a power move from the front office because they wanted a new kicker because they felt like this was a situation and they traded up for him in the fifth round. There was no way in hell he wasn't making the roster. So uh, just to, to put a bow on it here – you and I have both talked many times about how we see the schedule as being so challenging that they could be just as good or better and not win the same number of games. What is your week one prediction and what is your final record prediction for this team? Week one, I just actually submitted that a little bit ago. It's uh, 20, 27, 13 Vikings. Um, you know, Honestly, things probably got a little bit more one-dimensional for uh, the 49ers now that Jarek McKinnon's not going to be playing, which sucks. I mean, you know, this defense was licking their chops, getting ready to go against him. They won against him in practice for four years. So um, they they won four of their last – I believe it's four of their last six home openers. Um, they're five of – you know, one t- kept opponents to ten points or less in their last five of their last seven regular season games. This defense plays lights out at U.S. Bank Stadium. It won't necessarily matter, I think, how much and what else Kirk Cus- – if there are some mistakes that can get masked by the defense, uh, sure. won't matter. Kirk doesn't need to be perfect in this game. So I think that it's a you know win for the Vikings here in week one, as I expected all season long. And I still have them at 10-6. and six. I really haven't changed anything. When I redid my picks – after the roster came out, uh, or the cuts came out last Saturday, the only ones I changed, I don't think they're going to sweep Chicago anymore. And I don't, because Soldier Field is hard to play at. Mm-hmm. And they have not won back to back there in a very long time. And I don't, and I, and I think just seeing Seattle, Seattle's kind of a big question mark right now. So I have them winning in Seattle. I also have them at 10 and 6. And for this week, I agree with you. I put this down as a Vikings 31-21. I think Kyle Shanahan Shanahan's good enough offensive mind that they're going to score, but I just don't trust the 49ers defense. And judging on what Sam Bradford did to New Orleans, you know, teams that don't have it all locked down in place early on with the defense that undergo changes, they're missing Reuben Foster, even with the Vikings' offensive line struggles, I think they're going to throw the ball pretty effectively on the 49ers. So that's what I'm going with. Yeah, no, it's fair. I think the offensive line's in for a big test, and this is an important test for them to gauge, you know, hey, is Pat Elfline, we might be ready to get him back week two, might not be, then we can slide Brett Jones over to left guard. Is that mm-hmm. what they're thinking? Is that their process? I mean, because I think you look at how Tom Compton does this week. I think you look at what Rashad Hill does this week to determine, okay, do they need to make any sort of adjustments going into week two and when the schedule gets infinitely harder? Definitely. So, okay, well, here we are. 
We're doing it. We're finally here, week one, and we're very excited that you are all coming along with us for the ride. So we appreciate all of you nutcases who continue to download this freaking podcast and listen to the very end. That's such know, an amazing feat. Like, what are we at right now? Forty-five minutes. Thirty-nine. Thirty-nine. Um, but the fact that you all. You guys are amazing. We love you. Yeah. And we love that you love our long snapper that's... jokes, which we didn't even bring up the long snapper today. This is probably a record for no, us. No, that's right. We talked about special teams, but not the long snapper. Yeah, I have no issue with Kevin McDermott. Now, there uh, there was a report that... Ooh. Jeff... So one, of our, one of our listeners yes. gave it to us, so thank you. That Jeff Overbaugh could be making a return sometime soon. He's on the practice squad with Atlanta, and mm-hmm. their long snapper is currently injured. I don't know how that happens, except uh-huh. if you're... You know, Kevin McDermott, you separate shoulder. We're just, you know, <laughs> you, you can put the you can put the dots together here. You know where we're at. So while you guys are all watching for Kirk Cousins week one, we are going to be keeping an eye on Atlanta. Although tonight, that's tonight yes, that's <laughs> tonight. right. Will we go the right way when we snap the ball? That's what we're trying to figure out. So anyway, all of you crazy people who listened all off season long, you're awesome. And thank you so much. And we look forward to being here with you. All sorts of purple podcasts this season, and uh, we will see you then.
This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.